We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings this morning. And uh, another thing is, you know, a huge giving thing that we've done recently was this new building that we're getting. And the good news is we are closing on it the 20th of March, which means that, yes, thank you, Jesus. This has been a journey. Which means that on April 2nd, we're loading up all of our stuff after church. We're moving it all there, spending a crazy week getting everything installed, cleaned up, ready to go. And on April 9th, we are having our first service at our new home on 410 South Maple over by the Kroger there. So uh, more updates to come as we go through that, but it is getting real. We are almost there. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this and just how faithful God has been through all of this. It was, I think, January 2nd maybe when we got in that building for the first time, and now we're going to be in it uh, April 9th as our own home. So it's amazing what God has done in a very short time. Uh, so Father, we're so grateful for everything that you've provided for us. Uh, it's just been miraculous. And as we give back to you, we acknowledge that you're the one who gives all things to us. And Jesus, we pray that you'd use everything that we give to continue to see your kingdom advance in our city, in our nation, and all across this earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And uh, as we're getting ready, and I forgot I should talk about this too, so we're getting ready to move in there, and there are a whole bunch of things that we need to do to get ready. And so if you're not currently serving in Radiant Church, this is our call out to you. We would love to have you join us as we're getting ready to make more room for more people to encounter the presence of God. And we're looking, we're developing a security team because we won't have, you know, a security team that's already here as we get over there, a parking lot team so that when you pull up there, you are greeted and welcomed. Um, we're putting together uh, more ushers to take care of things. And also in Radiant Kids, we need like two more for a nursery and two more for our three to fives to just really be rocking things. Things out. So this is my call out to you as a pastor. If you're not serving anywhere, uh, join us as we're moving into the new building and we're going to see God do incredible things. The way you can let us know that you want to get involved is on the communication cards. You can fill that out and on the back there's a comments and prayer section. You can just write in like, hey, I'd love to be on a security team or I'd love to be an usher, greeter, um, you know, radiant kids, whatever it is, and then we'll contact you and we have some training stuff coming up as we're getting in into the new place. Uh, so help us make more room for more people and Jesus is always so faithful to come and fill all the spaces that we create for him. All right, so we're continuing our series today, uh, Luke, investigating Jesus, and we're actually, it's only taken, this will be our fifth week, and we're finally finishing up chapter one, which is uh, pretty monumental for us. And what we're looking at today is the, uh, how God gives us a new name, and that might sound odd to you, but that's one of the things that we see happening in the story of John the Baptist. We're looking at his birth today, and really one of the key pieces of the story of John the Baptist is the name that God gave him. Now, right now, names are on my mind a lot. My wife and I are expecting our third child at the end of the summer. Yeah, so good job, Anna. <laughs> and so we're super excited about that. And now one of the things we have to do is what are we going to name our child? So we're coming up with a boy list and a girl list and trying to put that together. And what happens is she's making her list of names that she likes, and I'm making a list of names that I like, and then we have to compare them with each other. And the first thing we have to do is cross off every name that is some way associated with someone that we had a bad experience with in our, our life before. So like if she comes up with Josh, no offense if your name is Josh, but there was a Josh that was a bully in third grade, and so I just can't name my son after him. Or, you know, there's people that probably were hitting on her in high school that she doesn't want to name her kids after. So that's the first step. Eliminate all of the bad associations with our names. And then we have to come up with something that we think sounds good as well. Uh, I don't want to give examples of the names that don't sound good because I really don't want to offend people. <laughs> 
And then after we come up with something that sounds good, then we had to make sure that it actually has a, a good meaning to the name, that it doesn't mean something terrible. I was looking up terrible name meanings this week, and once again, I won't share because I don't want to offend anybody, but one of the popular guy names actually means demon god of war. And that's, I was like, oh man, there's no way I can name my kid after that. Or there was uh, one girl's name that meant like the ugly sister, and I'm like, definitely can't name my daughter after that. Because we want the name to have a good meaning behind it. And I know that in our day and age, culturally, we don't put a whole lot of thought into the, the meaning behind the names. But that's a really pretty modern development. Most cultures, for most of time, have given a name to someone because they believe that that name spoke something about the destiny of the child. It had some meaning and significance behind it. And that's what we see uh, here as we're going into John and, and what his name is. There's a meaning behind it that God is speaking something about his destiny through. I, was, I remember when we were trying to name Eason, and I was, I'm like the fourth Dale in my family, and so I wanted to continue to keep that going, but I didn't know what Dale even meant. And so I looked it up, and it means in German, valley dweller, which isn't real inspiring, uh, <laughs> but it's not terrible. And then also it's a Greek, I'm sorry, it's a transliteration from an Arabic word meaning harlot. And so I'm definitely going to go with the German meaning on that one. And I ended up passing it on to Eason. But it's, though it doesn't have a great significance to it, we named him Eason because that means that God is salvation. And as we were praying over him and what the message of his life would be, we really felt like that's what God was speaking, that God was going to use our son to speak, that he is salvation. Brielle means that God is my might. And we really believe that that's going to be the message of my daughter's life, is that God is the one who gives her strength, and he's the one that strengthens us all. And she's a mighty little woman already. It's such an appropriate name for her. But as we're looking at the story of John it, uh, in his birth, it begins in chapter 57 of Luke 1. And it says, When it was time for Elizabeth's birth, a baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. So what's happened is Elizabeth has had a baby boy, and everybody goes absolutely nuts about this. And that's because of the fact that God does what he says he will do. Make that your mantra in life. Make this a part of the cornerstone of who you are, of, of your foundational beliefs that you have. Believe that God does what he says he's going to do. Remember the context of the story is that uh, Elizabeth is past the age of bearing children. And God miraculously causes her to conceive and gives her a miracle baby in her old age. Now, if they had been a couple in their 20s and 30s and they got pregnant and had a baby, you know, your family would be happy with you, but the whole town isn't going to rejoice with you. But because of the fact that this was an absolute miracle that has taken place in her life, uh, something that was impossible in the natural, everybody recognizes what's happened here, and now they're celebrating along with her. And what we believe about God is revealed based on our belief in what he says. If you really want to get down to who it is that you believe God is, what it is that you believe he's capable of, the nature and the character of God, one of the things that reveals that about you is do you believe that God is capable of doing the things that he says he will do? Now, if God were to tell you something like, you're going to have good luck today, Every one of us would be able to believe that, right? Because it doesn't take anything miraculous for you to have a good day or a lucky day. You know, that's like the, the uh, fortune cookie version of God. It's just speaking things that are really vague, they're not specific, and it could happen to absolutely anybody on any given day. But if God were to speak to you and say, hey, you might be post-menopause, but you're going to be pregnant and you're going to give birth to the one who's going to proclaim that the Messiah is coming, 
That takes some faith. Now it starts saying, what do I really believe about God? Do I believe that this is something that he's capable of doing, or do I limit God and what he's able to do based on my perception uh, of my experiences, what's plausible, uh, you know, can God suspend natural law, these sorts of things. You will either believe that God is really, really big, and there's nothing that's impossible for him, and that everything he says he's going to do, he will do, regardless of what our experiences might be, regardless of what natural law might say, or you believe that God is limited to things, and he's only capable of doing things that are very small, in which case you might as well worship the fortune cookies, because it'll have the same amount of value or difference made inside of your life. When God says something to you, do you believe it? If it's easy, yeah. But what about when God says that I'm going to use you to make a difference in your generation? What about if God says I'm going to use you as a light? What if God calls you, he puts a ministry idea inside of your head? What if he puts a business idea inside of your head? What if he speaks to you about your children who aren't following the Lord, but he says that they're going to come back to him and they're going to know him and they're going to believe him and that your family is going to be restored? What if your marriage is struggling greatly, but God speaks into your life and says that he's going to come and reconcile your marriage? What if you're going through the loss of someone and you're broken as can be and God speaks to you, I'm going to heal you and I'm going to restore you? Are you going to believe God in those moments? Even when it seems impossible. Even when it seems like there's no way. All of us have to get to the point of where we believe that God will do everything that he says he will do. And we put our faith in his word more than anything else that's around us, more than our experiences, more than what we've seen him do in other people, more than the failures that we've seen in other people and in our own life. Do we believe that God is capable of doing everything that he says he will do? We have to make that one of the core pieces of who we are as a people. And then it goes on, in Luke, in, uh, verses 59 through 64, it says, When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, No, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began to praise God. And what this is speaking to us, and this is so important, is that God has a new name for you. For every single one of us, God has a new name. Now, the norm at this time was that the names all came from your relatives. It was all the ancestors that were before you. It was a way to honor and to pay homage to those who come before you. And it was also a way of continuing to connect and to have identity with your family. So Zechariah's baby boy, his firstborn son, is clearly supposed to be named Zechariah. But God stepped into the situation and he called John out from his family identity, from this family name, and called him to something new. See, the name Zechariah, what that means is that God has remembered. And this is the way that it's been, going all the way back to Abraham. God remembers that at the fall of man, that he had a plan, that he was going to do something. When we look at what happens in Egypt and how God comes and rescues his people, it says, and God remembered. When we go through and we look all through the Jewish history, we see God continues to remember and he continues to do things to father them into their destiny. But now when it comes to John, it's not the name God remembers anymore. The name John means God is gracious. 
God wasn't just remembering anymore. That wasn't the future. That wasn't the destiny of John. The destiny of John was that he was going to be the one who went out and declared that God is gracious, that he has remembered, and it's brought him to the point now where he's about to step into humanity to change history and to give all of us a new destiny. God's grace is about to be poured out on all people. That's what he's doing in John. That's the message of his life. And what we need to understand is that God has given every single one of us a new name. Your family has given you a name. It might be Dale, the valley dweller, or Harlot, however you want to look at it. There's a name that my family's given me. But more than just that name that I was given at birth, there are other names that we've all been given as well. Names that have been given to us by our friends. Names that have been given to us by our peers. Names that have been given to us by our enemies. Names that have been given to us by our culture. It's all other people's perception of us that we then begin to take on ourselves. And Satan himself uses these names, and I think he's someone who gives us names a lot of times. And uh, for me, this really, I mean, this isn't even something I'm still completely comfortable sharing. And I think that's, I just want to be open and honest about that, is I think that all of us have a story of what God's doing in us and what he has done. And we may not be real comfortable with it yet, and we might not be real comfortable sharing it publicly, but we can do that, and that's a part of that healing process that comes along with it. And it's a part of allowing God to step into it and to use that to bring something good out of it. So when I was four years old, I ended up being molested, and it was something that, that shaped me, and it changed me. And the name that I received as a four-year-old was shame. Because this had happened to me. And I knew, even as a four-year-old, that this wasn't something to be proud about, that something terrible had happened. And I didn't want anybody to know about it. And what happened in me was I said, if this ever gets out, if my parents or you know, friends, family, whoever, if culture as a whole ever finds out that this has happened to me, they're not going to like me anymore, they're not going to love me anymore, they're just going to look at me as a shameful person. And so what I did was I decided I need to be so good at something that even if other people found out what had happened to me, they would still love me because even though this had happened, I was really good at this thing. So I still had value, I still had worth, and I still had importance to other people. And that might sound crazy because if you're a parent, you know that's not how you would ever view your child. But the enemy comes and he lies to you. He makes you believe something that's not truth. And so I spent my whole life just trying to be so good at everything that I did, pushing myself as hard as I could and quitting everything I wasn't good at because I just needed to pursue those things I was really good at. So if my parents or friends or family, anybody ever found out, they would still have something they could be proud of me for. And as I grew and got into high school, I started to really receive some healing from this, began to accept identity from Jesus. But then I found out that that person that had done that to me had been arrested because he was working as a nanny for a family, he'd been sexually abusing the kids that he was nannying. And instantly, the shame all came back. And worse than it had ever been. Because I thought, if I'd had the strength and the courage to tell someone what had happened, then he would have been put away and this wouldn't have happened to these kids. I felt like I was the reason that this had been done to them. I didn't think about the actual person that was abusing them. I felt like I was the one that had caused this to happen to other people. And now not only was I someone that had been, you know, damaged as a child, but I was someone that didn't have the strength inside of me to save other kids from having that happen to them as well. And I felt more shameful than I ever had before. And it drove me once again 
to be the absolute best at everything I did because I knew it was going to come out someday. And not only did I hide it, but I made it and I enabled, I felt like I'd enabled someone else to continue to live this life of damaging other people in that way. That was the name that I was given. Shame. And every single one of us has names that have been given to us. Maybe it's not the birth name that your parents gave you, but it's maybe the, the real name that they've spoken to you, or maybe it was friends, family, peers, culture, coworkers, whatever it is. Maybe it was Satan himself that's been lying to you and telling you that your name is shame. Maybe he's telling you that your name is unlovable. Maybe he's telling you that your name is unforgivable. Whatever that name is, you know it because you've been hearing that spoken to you, and it's been shaping your identity, and it's become a, a tool and a weapon that Satan has used inside of your life. But the good news is, is that God has given you a new name. All of the names that everybody else gave to you, those aren't the names that are your true names. You have a new name that comes from God himself, and that name doesn't reflect your sinful nature. That name doesn't reflect the things that have been done to you. It doesn't reflect your weaknesses, your brokenness, none of those things. God has given you a new name that speaks to your worth. It speaks to your value. It speaks to your, your sonship or daughtership inside of his family. It speaks to how cherished you are to him. And it says this in Isaiah 62 too. The nations will see your righteousness. This is speaking to God's people. It says, And world leaders will be blinded by your glory, and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. Going all the way back to Isaiah, God is saying this, is that I'm giving you a new name. You're not going to be defined by other people. You're not going to be defined by circumstances or situations or other people. I'm going to be the one who gives you a new name, and it's going to proceed from my own mouth. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 17, and this is how everything's wrapping up, it says, Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Now, white stones in this culture, what they were used for is there are like seven different things, and I'll just hit up on a couple of them. Is one, if you were a slave gladiator that had been, in, you know, you've been living a, a, a life of death and violence and fear, you were a slave, you didn't have a will as to what you were going to do in your life, you could be given a white stone, and that was symbolic of that you were now a free person. You were no longer a slave, you were no longer going to be forced to live a life that you didn't want to live, you were free now. You were given a white stone. Part of what this is speaking is that God gives you freedom. You used to be a slave to sin, but now he frees you from that, and now you can follow a new and different life. It was also something that was a symbol of provision. There'd be white stones that had the emperor's inscription on it, and if you were poor, what would happen is they'd go out and they would give one of these to you, and you could take that to the granary, and now you would be entitled to grain so that you would have food. It was a symbol of provision, that had been given to you, that wasn't something you could provide from yourself, was because of the mercy of the emperor. A part of the white stone speaks to the fact that God is your provision. He's the one who has so much mercy on you that even you can't supply the things for yourself that you need, but he's able to supply those things for you. It also speaks to a vote of innocence. If there was something that was being voted on, there was two stones. There was the black stone, which meant that they were voting that you were guilty, and there was a white stone that would mean that they found you to be innocent. God finds you innocent now. 
Through Jesus, there's forgiveness of our sins so that we're no longer condemned because of the things that we have done, but the white stone has been cast for us, meaning that we are free, we are clear that we are innocent, and we are righteous before God, our Father, and our Judge. And another thing that a white stone would be was an amulet that they would make, and it would have the, the signature or the name of the God that they worshipped. And so this speaks to the fact that the God that we call on the God that we belong to is the living God. And now we are entitled to his protection and we are entitled to his moving inside of our lives. We have the white stone with the inscription of Jesus on it. And we also have a new name that's been given to us. And I love that it says that no one understands what that name means except for the one who receives it. And what that speaks to is that there, every one of us has a story. Like I shared a small piece of my story. And when I get my white stone in heaven, it has my name on it, I'm the only one that's going to understand what that new name means because I'm the only one that's lived out my story. And God's using every one of our stories. And if my, let's just say my, my white stone meant cherished, you might not understand what that would mean to me, but I know exactly what that means to me because I'm the one that's walked through the guilt and I'm the one that's walked through the shame of my past and my story and now I've received this new thing. God is working through the story of your life. All of the things that the enemy meant to use to destroy you and to tear you down and to keep you from the destiny that you were called to in Jesus, Jesus is using to bring freedom to those who are around you. He's come and he's brought freedom and deliverance to you and he's gonna use the pains and the hurts and the brokenness that you've experienced to bring life to other people who have gone through the same thing. When I was going through my health issues, you know who I wanted praying for me and talking to me and encouraging me? was people that had been through serious health issues. My brother-in-law, Chris Lepsch. I'm, my heart's broken for everything that he went through as a child with leukemia and all of that. But God used that as a testimony, as a story, and a way to bring life and encouragement to me and to so many other people. For every broken marriage that I've seen, as much as my heart grieves and I recognize this doesn't line up with what God wants for us, still I see the story that's going to come out of that. How even in abandonment and brokenness in marriage, we've been made the bride of Christ and that our groom never abandons us, he never forsakes us, and that even as we go through that heartache, he's the one that comes and comforts us and he's the one that restores us for people that have lost children, for people that have lost spouses, for people that are suffering with mental illness or other physical ailments, whatever it might be, as horrible as it is, and as much as the enemy will use that to try to name you and define you and speak of value to you, Jesus comes and he stops that and he gives you a new name. And he uses everything that's happened to you to bring glory to himself, to bring healing to you, and also to go out and to speak of life and light and hope that we have found in Jesus to others who are going through the same thing. It's incredible what it is that God does. And then it goes on to speak to this. We're free from the old names. Embrace that new name that God has for you. And in Luke 65 through 66, it says, All fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what happened spread throughout the Judean hills. And everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Just as people tried to give John a family name, there was also a family expectation for him. 
At this time, you didn't dream about what you wanted to be when you grew up and what you would do. It was like, hey, uh, generations ago, your family decided exactly the career path that you were going to take. If your parents were farmers, guess what? You were going to be a farmer when you grew up. If your parents were fishermen, guess what? You were going to catch fish for a living. Uh, even when we see this with Jesus, his dad was a carpenter. Probably his grandpa was a carpenter, a great-grandpa a carpenter. So Jesus, what did he do? He was a carpenter. Your family, even though we don't have career expectations that we follow in a family anymore, but your family still has expectations for who you are and what you're going to do. And there are also limitations that your family and other people place on you on what you can do. There are things that the Bible calls generational curses. That means that there's some flaw, there's some brokenness that you see played out generation after generation after generation. Like, uh, let's say it's an addiction or substance abuse. How many times do you see that? It's just generation after generation of that that plays out inside of a family. Or divorce, generation after generation of divorce. Uh, maybe it's an anger issue. You see, well, you have an anger issue. Well, your dad had an anger issue. Your grandpa had an anger issue. You can see that there are these things that we receive from our families, good and bad, and there are expectations that we receive because of the family that you belong to. Uh, growing up, it was, I was a Brown, so there was an expectation that we were going to be in the choir, we we're going to be acolytes, we we're going to sit in the front row at church, and that's a very small thing, but that was an expectation that was put on us because of my family that I belonged to. And there were also things that people believed you couldn't do because of the family that you belonged to. But God's called you out from the family identity. He's called you out from family brokenness. And he's the one that comes and he puts an end to the generational curses that we see play out generation after generation. And you can decide that because of the call of God on me that it stops here. Now, John had a great thing. His dad was a priest, so he was going to grow up to be a priest as well. But even the good things sometimes that people view as, those are things that we can be called out from too because God has something different from us. We have to not define ourselves by the names others have given us, we don't have to define ourselves by the expectations that other people have from us. It all comes down to the fact that the gracious hand of God is moving on our lives. And because of that, the question that we need to ask ourselves is what will you turn out to be? The only limit to who you will turn out to be is the limit of your agreement with Jesus. It's an agreement with the new name that he's given you it's an agreement with the new life and the new destiny that he's called you to. It's an agreement with his will for your life. And will you agree with it so much and believe in it so much that you will become obedient to everything that God speaks to you? Never limit yourself and what God can do on you because of what other people say, what other people think, because of the family and friends that have come before you. Never limit yourself, even based on your own inabilities, your own inadequacies. It comes back to the call of God on your life. And if we believe that his word is unshakable, if we believe that God's going to do everything he said that he will do, then what he's spoken in your life will come to pass. Nothing is impossible for him. Never limit yourself. Wonder, what is it that my life is going to turn out to be because of who Jesus is in me? And then it goes on in 67 through 80, and it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, 
because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. So this is speaking to who we are. Uh, So in Jesus, you are number one, redeemed. That word redeemed means that you've been gained through a price that was paid. It means that you're no longer uh, lost, you're not identified as a sinner, you're not identified as a failure or someone who's far from God, you're not identified as broken, you're redeemed. And what that means is that Jesus came and he paid the price to purchase us, to gain us into his family with his own blood. He went to the cross, paid the price for our sins to redeem us, to give us a new identity. We are a people who are redeemed. And that was God's plan from the beginning. That's why it talks about through the prophets. It's about this was going to happen all the way going back to the fall of man. God gave that first clue that he was going to come himself to pay the price for our sins so that we could be readopted into his own family. And then it continues and says, Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. So that second thing is in Jesus we are saved from our enemies. Sin and death are defeated. They don't have a hold over you anymore. They don't have power over you. The greatest problem that every single one of us faces is that we die deserving death. But Jesus came and defeated the enemy of sin and death for us so that we can now go, and number three, uh, be a servant without fear. Isn't that funny that God is identifying us as servants? There's an expectation on every single one of us. If you've been adopted into the family of God, you receive the identity of a son and of a daughter, but he's also called you to be someone who is a servant. Every single one of us. Our culture says that life is about having other people serve us, Jesus, in the life that he's given us, the culture of the kingdom of heaven says that my life isn't about being served. My life is about serving others. It's about pouring myself out for others. And most importantly, it's about pouring myself out as a servant of the living God. And we can serve him without fear because if if Jesus is sitting there and he's just completely holy and all-powerful, which he is, but we're a sinful people, the last person I want to be around is Jesus. Because I'm so aware of how broken I am and how unworthy I am to come into his presence. I'm scared of God. But because of what Jesus has done, because he's defeated the enemies of sin and death, because he's given me a new life, because he's made me someone who is pure and holy as well, now I can approach Jesus without any fear. It says that God has called us his friend. I might be a servant, I'm never going to become flippant in the presence of God. But I recognize that part of what he did on the cross was brought me into his family and he brought me into friendship with him. I can approach him full of confidence. It's the place that I want to be now. I want to serve Jesus in his presence and I don't have to have any fear, any condemnation, guilt, or shame as I approach him. And then number four, in Jesus we are able to live a holy and righteous life. You don't have to keep living the same life that you were living. Filled with shame, filled with brokenness, filled with heartache. 
pursuing the same things, trying to find worth and value and comfort in all of the same old ways that we used to that just continue to lead us to more shame, more sin, more heartache inside of our life. Because Jesus didn't just pay the price for our sins on the cross so we could go to heaven someday. He defeated the power of sin in our life so we don't have to continue to live continuing to sin anymore. We, when we were born, we were slaves to sin. You could try not to sin and you would never be able to stop sinning. You were a slave to it. It had mastery over you. But now, when we allow Jesus to become the one who gives us life, the one who empowers us through the Holy Spirit, now we have the ability to live a new life that's free from the old way we used to live. We can live a righteous and a holy life now. And that word holy, that means that we're called and set apart for God's own purposes. Everything that we do should be evaluated through the lens of, am I living out the call of God to be set apart for his purposes? Or am I wasting my time, my energy, my heart, and myself on things that are not for Jesus? So if we are that sin, it leads to more heartache, more brokenness, it leads to more distance between ourselves and God. And it keeps us from doing the things that he really called us to do. They're going to bring fulfillment and joy and peace in our lives. You're able to live a holy and a righteous life. You're able to break free from all those things that you used to do. And then it continues and says, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. So number five, you're a prophet of God. Every single one of us or a prophet of God. And there's two things that we do as a prophet. So number one, we prepare the way for the Lord. We continue to, to be those who are working and moving so that God can come and move upon someone's heart. That's why we do the things we do as a church. That's why we serve. It's why we give. It's why we create places for people to encounter God is because we're preparing. Just like there was someone who came and they worked in you to prepare for God to come to you. Maybe it was your parents, a friend, a pastor, a coworker. There was someone that before you made that decision to follow Jesus, they had been working and they had been laboring. They were preparing for that moment when you would really have a revelation through the Holy Spirit of who God is and his call on your life. And then the second thing that we do as a prophet is we tell people how to find salvation. We proclaim this message of the gospel that though we're lost, though we're broken and fallen, God's had a plan in place since before time began to bring salvation to us, that we no longer have to live with the penalty of sins on us, that there is freedom that is found in Jesus Christ, and there's new life that is found in him. It says, And because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. If we are all of these things in Jesus, if the only limit of what we will be is the limit of our agreement with Jesus and obedience to his word, then nothing is impossible for us. And I'll close with this. We might live in a dark time and in a broken time, but God has saved us from that. And he's called you to go and to arise and to shine in this dark age and go to those who are still sitting in darkness, to go to those who are still brokenhearted, to those who are still far from God our Father, and tell them the good news of what he's done in your life. 
I think oftentimes we make evangelism out to be so complicated and so hard and there's all these steps and processes and classes you have to do. You know what evangelism is? It's just going and telling other people what God's done in your life and what he's able to do in theirs. And the Holy Spirit enters into that and he begins to move on their heart so that the words that you're speaking, it might be broken, it might be choppy, you might leave out key concepts and thoughts and that's okay. Because as Paul said, I didn't come to you with clever words and speech. I came to you demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we do every time we encounter someone who's lost, hurting, and broken. And we tell them the story of what God's done in our life and what he can do in their life. We demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit that's been working inside of us. That's how we rise. That's how we shine. We tell people what God has done. And then it goes on to say, John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry of Israel. And the last concept here is that you grow and become strong in spirit. John wasn't born going out, doing the ministry, calling people to repent, and all the other things that we're going to learn about next week. He started out life just a little itty-bitty baby that didn't do anything but grow and receive from others. When we make that decision to follow Jesus, we're born again, it says. You're born spiritually. You're born into a new life that God's called you to, and you're just a little itty-bitty baby that can't do anything but grow and receive from others. I think so many times we become so discouraged because we start comparing ourselves to other people who God is using in incredible ways and we think that our life should be that we've been saved for three days now. Why am I not, you know, doing Billy Graham stuff? <laughs> Billy Graham wasn't doing Billy Graham stuff when he'd been a Christian for three days. We grow and we become strong in spirit. There's always a process that's associated with it. It's growing into the call and the destiny that God has for you. It's growing in righteousness. It's growing in holiness and all of these things. And every time we fail, we get back up. When my kids were learning to walk, they didn't fall down and say, how dare you, you sinful, wretched being, away from my presence. No, I went and I picked them up. I told them I loved them and how proud I was of them. And I dusted the boo-boos and kissed their knees and things like that. And I got them back up. And that's what God's doing to you. If you've been falling, if you've been living and you feel like I'm just a spiritual baby and I haven't been growing into the great things that God's called me to, I don't see how I could ever get to that, that's okay because it's just one day at a time. It's something that you grow into and every time you fall, you let God just pick you back up. You let him comfort you, let him strengthen you and encourage you and you go off on your way again, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the best that you can do, recognizing there'll never be enough of your own effort but requires the miraculous work of God. But the good thing is, as long as we're trying, God's coming and he's being faithful. You will get to the place that God's called you to. You will do the things that he's called you to do. I think we need to spend more time pondering this, this idea of what is that new name that I've received? And what will I do because the hand of God is on me? Let's just spend a moment praying together this morning. Father, we thank you that you are such a good father to us. And this morning, 
I pray that you would speak a new name over us all. Holy Spirit, would you reveal the name that we've been believing, that other people have given to us, that Satan has given to us, whether it's shameful or wretched or failure, broken, unlovable, whatever that name is right now, Holy Spirit, would you identify that for all of us? Expose the lie. And now, Father, would you speak new names over us? Beautiful, cherished, beloved, redeemed, strong. Jesus, break that curse that's been over us and over our families. Jesus, break the curse of limiting ourselves. God, begin to fill us with those ideas of the things that you've called us to, of who we're going to be. God, would you come and empower us and strengthen us to live in that new life. Holy Spirit, giving us the ability to live a righteous and a holy life. God, speak those things to us that you've called us to leave behind, the things that continue to weigh us down and to keep us from following after you, the things that continue to produce hurt and distance. Jesus, break every one of those things over us this morning. Let your freedom reign. It says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So God, as your Spirit continues to fill us and to fill this place, let your freedom reign over all of us, empowering us to live the new life that you've called us to. Jesus, we put our faith in your word, into the words that you've spoken over us. We don't limit ourselves because of our inabilities, our insufficiencies. We come to you, the one who nothing is impossible before. And Jesus, would you use us and all of the hurt and the brokenness of our past and the story we come through. But Jesus, would you use even these things for your good to bring life and freedom and healing and hope to those who are around us. God, strengthen us that as we go out into a dark place that we truly would shine brightly because of your glory, because of your presence inside of us. God, as we share the story of what you've done in our lives with our friends and families and coworkers, God, we pray for openness in their hearts that Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself, that they would see you Jesus lifted high and that they would have faith in you that you save them from their sins and that you can bring them freedom and healing and that you can fill them with new life and that you have plans and purposes for them. God, not by clever speech or words of wisdom, but by the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit who's been working inside of our lives and changing us into your image, God. Would that be the proof that what we speak is true? God, would you fill us with faith for what you've called us to? God, would you fill us with passion for those who are hurting around us? God, would you use us as your prophets to prepare the way and to proclaim forgiveness of sins through you? Shape us this morning, Jesus. Speak your identity over us. We respond to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward.
And they're going to be in this front section here. And if there's anything that we can be praying for you about this morning, uh, we would love to do that. We see God do just incredible things every single week. And then also, if you're new here, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're our guest. We're so honored by that. We'd love to have you fill out one of our communication cards, and you can turn that in at the information table. We have a free Radiant shirt for you as a way to say thank you so much for being here with us today. And then I'll send you an email, just welcome you to Radiant, see if there's anything that we can do for you. Also today we have our Next Steps Grow class going on. If you want to know how to uh, really jumpstart your relationship with God and grow close to Him through prayer uh, and through, um, man, I should know this stuff, through prayer and through studying Scripture uh, and through worship, then it's just a 45-minute hour class in our Next Steps room right after church. Go there. You will be encouraged by that. Um, and then also, I'm continue to keep, oh, Brother Abraham, I knew I was forgetting something. I was just stalling. That's what we do. We just try to pray or something, we don't know what we're saying. Brother Abraham, our, our missionary in India, is going to be here in two weeks on the 26th. So I encourage you, if you're only here one week in the next month, which I hope you hear all of them, but if you're only here one the next month, be here for Brother Abraham on the 26th. You will be blessed, you will be encouraged. Uh, it's good to see, we put a lot of money into supporting him and his ministry, and so come and hear what it is that God is doing through your faithfulness and generosity in him and the nation of India. Come forward for prayer. If not, go eat some snacks, drink some coffee, meet some friends, and we'll see you back here next week. God bless.